I'm Richard Berkison, and you're listening to Grassroots, the Minor Hockey Show, Episode 5. In the last show, you heard from Steve Miller, who's heading up the teaching of the Modified Ice Program in the Oshawa Minor Hockey Organization. And don't forget, you also learned about the origin of jumping on the bandwagon. Remember Dan Rice and presidential candidate Zachary Taylor? In this episode, I chat with Corey Lucas, who is coaching one of the teams in that program. Corey is an elementary school teacher, a former college and minor pro player, and someone who spent a few years coaching AAA at the older levels. He brings a rather different perspective to it all. Here's what Corey had to say. We are talking novice hockey today. Um, we have on the line here from his uh, sumptuous estate somewhere in the GTA, uh, Corey Lucas, who is coaching a novice team in Oshawa minor hockey under the new uh, modified ice program from Hockey Canada. Uh, Corey, welcome aboard. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Richard. I appreciate you having me today. Looking forward to talking about some uh, interesting topics. Yes. Well, the, the program, the novice program, or the U7, U8, and new U9, as it's going to be called uh, as of next year, has had um, a lot of detractors, a lot of positive comments about it as well. But before we get into some of that, you have uh, an extensive playing background. I'm wondering if you could just quickly review where you've been. Certainly. Um, I was a Scarborough boy, born and raised, um, played uh, tier two hockey for Wexford Raiders uh, back in 1996, I believe, if my memory serves me. Um, after that, I was fortunate enough to attain a Division One scholarship to Canisius College the first year they went D1 down in the States, which I highly recommend all hockey parents entertain. Um, I'm a big advocate of education and uh, um, you know it's a big push in Ontario to play in the L, but uh, the schooling was uh, a great experience for me and allowed me to play hockey and get an education as well. Would, um, your, after would, my four- would your support for education have something to do with your profession? Uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> that that, and the fact that you can get injured at any moment playing at yes. any age. And sure. uh, if you don't have a backup plan, you're in trouble and you can't play hockey forever. So that's what I try to stress to my uh, people that I help with on the side with my mental training program, plus mm-hmm. the parents that I talk to that I coach. So, But um, after Canisius, I was... Uh, Fortunate again enough to get scouted by a couple NHL teams, which was uh, a nice feather in my cap. Um, I ended up playing in the minors for four years, which was uh, an interesting experience up and down. That's for sure. Sometimes I was really good and scoring lots of goals. I got 15 one year and then the next minute you're a healthy scratch in the stands. So um, it was pretty, pretty difficult, but uh, lots of fun. Um, After my pro career, I came back and became a school teacher with the Toronto school board and I've been doing that for 15 years and during that time teaching um, I started to see the same things that I um, experienced firsthand as a hockey player you know the highs and lows of the game lack of confidence and slumps and injuries Um, I was running a hockey school at the time and I thought that um, there weren't a lot of people providing the kids support with the mental aspect of the game so that inspired me to create Um, a little side business called Mentally Charged that helps hockey players build mental toughness. And um, here we are. So I teach, I coach my own son, Charlie. He's now this hockey player, like you mentioned in Oshawa, and I'm doing the mental toughness thing on the side for kids. 
As long as you put in the plug, uh, if anybody wants to contact you, what's the email address uh, for Mentally Charged to get the, to get in touch with you? It's info at mentallycharged.com, or you can go to mentallycharged.com to uh, look at the services we offer for kids. Yeah. That's Mentally Charged, uh, by the way, M-E-N-T-A-L-L-Y-C-H-A-R-G-E-D.com. Thank you, sir. There you exactly. go. So I get 10% now of all future earnings from that uh, <laughs> as a result of the plug. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. So you, uh, you did coach minor hockey before you had kids. And uh, I, I wondered if you could give me a little bit of a, an overview of what that experience was like. Um, it was shocking to say the least. I, I coached in the GTHL for eight or nine years and, uh, it was different. Um, open borders, um, you know, players are allowed to go to any team. Um, there were lots of politics involved in, in all of the teams because everyone wanted to be the number one team. Obviously, um, teams were picked in November for the next, for the next year, lots of verbal commitments, um, I mean, we were recruiting players from across the world to come and play for us. And um, there's lots of sponsorship dollars being thrown around. It didn't happen so much with the teams that I was on. But, um, I mean, you hear rumblings throughout the league. So it was pretty pretty intense. Um, not a lot of loyalty because of that as a result, which is unfortunate because I'm a big fan of, you know, building that team camaraderie. But, um, yeah, I, I coached with uh, – Red Wings and uh, North York Rangers and Toronto Penguins in the G and, and had a good experience with them. But uh, I've certainly heard some horror shows, that's for sure. Well, maybe in a future show, we'll get you on. We'll talk about the whole idea of open borders because it has been thrown around. I know that where I come from in Montreal and Ottawa, that does not exist. Uh, in, in Midget, it does exist, uh, as in U18. Um, but anyway, let's get on to our topic of, of novice hockey. So, you um, you started with us when I was with uh, Oshawa Minor the season before last in 2018 with the uh, Minor mm-hmm. Novice, what was called the Minor Novice Program. What were your initial thoughts about that whole modified ice idea? Well, uh, I think that um, if I'm being honest, I was a little skeptical. Um, I, like probably many parents and coaches, brought my subconscious blueprint to the table, uh, you know, based on everything I'd heard, seen and experienced myself, you know, when I grew up, that wasn't how I was taught. I was taught on the full ice and that's how I played on the full ice. And that's what I would watch on TV was the full ice. So I probably was a little bit reserved and, um, I guess the word is skeptical. Um, I wasn't used to it, obviously. I didn't know anything about it, but being an educator, um, I could see the merits and what the program was all about. So I was kind of open-minded, but um, I grumbled a little bit from time to time. That um, I mean, for the most part, I was intrigued about the program. Um, my, I think my main concern going into it was whether or not um, the other centers were going to be playing by the rules, you know? So, and I didn't want our team to be behind the eight ball. So, um, those are a couple of concerns I had, a little skepticism, a little bit reserved, but uh, intrigued. Now, I suppose you've heard the arguments uh, from the likes of people like me and, and others comparing hockey with pretty much every sport or activity that children are involved in, uh, from soccer to football to volleyball to even the size of the desks and chairs in your classrooms in the elementary school, that everything has been adapted to the size of the kids. 
and hockey was the only sport that did nothing. You've heard that argument. Yes, I have. Yeah. <clears throat> but because we all grew up in the traditional full-size adult rink, you know, designed by adults for adults, really, um, did that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And did it, did it sit well with you that, why is my kid playing on a rink that I played on as a professional, but he's six years old or seven years old? It was a little concerning for me, of course, because you get five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds that are shot out of the cannon and, and they, they just have skills that connect early. So <laughs> you've got players that are literally skating end to end through everybody. So it, it looks, um, it looks like it's real hockey, but, um, the reality that or the concern that I had was my kids get smoked out here. He's get you know, skating circles around mm-hmm. and the space is gigantic, you know, and as I've mentioned, I'm an educator. So I know the merits of breaking skills down, um, into smaller subsets and, and smaller area. So, um, to answer your question, yeah, the answer is yes. It, it felt weird to me. And, um, it was kind of irksome at times because, um, I didn't feel as though, um, a lot of the players on my team, including my son, were developing properly because they were getting skated around. Now, you you admit that you did some grumbling, inward grumbling, or maybe it was outward grumbling. I don't know. I didn't hear it. But, <laughs> um, about the uh, the small space and the cross ice and, and so forth. And I know there were parents who were uh, chewing on their nails, watching the small space, wondering why on earth, what are they doing? This is not hockey. Um, did you hear much of that? Well, yeah. I mean, being a coach, you know, you're walking through the rinks, you hear feedback from everybody. Everyone says, I'm not going to tell you how to do this, but let me tell you how to do this. And they <laughs> yeah. go on it, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is normal. But um, I, I've got a great rapport with the, the group of um, people that I, I coach with and the parents have been amazing this year. So, um, again, it, that stems from the top down and me promoting an open line of communication with parents. It wasn't like this is the way it is take it or like it it was a dialogue so i talked to the parents because they were like when are we going to start games you know and they're all excited about games and i said listen you just need to trust the process here where i know we're excited about the performance zone but if you want your kid to be good you know we're buying into we're buying into that pathway and you just need to be patient we all need to stay in the learning zone longer and let it percolate right all these other teams out there that are getting hot and heavy and they're, you know, booking 23 games in the fall. Um, that's the maximum amount of games they can play. But we, we obviously didn't need to do that. You know, we played eight, we had a nice balance and it worked. So we just need to, to uh, trust the process. So, I mean, that was up to us to help educate the, the parents and uh, the organization to support us in that, that process. And, Luckily for me and our team, everybody was really supportive of it because they could actually see the results coming, which was well, great. Let's go back to to your first season uh, last year, 2018-19. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a point during that first year with your son in minor novice where your mind started to change completely to the side of, of modified ice or did it ever change? Well, it did. Yeah, in the beginning, I was a little skeptical of it, but as soon as we started breaking down the skills and um, you know, it's not so much that the space 
that you play in too, Richard. It's about, as you'd know, as an educator yourself, it's, it's about how you implement the skill, you know, how, how often are these kids doing the reps? Um, do you have one or two kids going at a time and six kids sitting in a corner? It's no good. How, how often are you providing feedback? Are you doing it every single time the kid goes around the cone and does a skill or are you giving them some time like you taught me? Just let them do it three or four times before you start um, giving them that feedback and then build off that feedback each time. Um, so there were times at the year where I, I didn't, I hadn't bought in a hundred percent, but as the season progressed, you, you get to see how, how that small space really works. I mean, the game itself has changed in the NHL. It's a six foot game. So it makes no sense to do five on O regroups in the neutral zone <laughs> with right. no pressure anywhere. Right. So um, breaking it down into that, that tiny area and implementing it properly and, you know, um, being strategic with the implementation of the drill and building off that, off those skills, it, it really works. It really does. The uh, the first year of the program, they were going cross ice till I think uh, the switch was around December, and then mm-hmm. uh, the move to half ice, which was all mandated by the uh, Ontario Hockey Federation and Hockey Canada. They could make that transition. It's it turns out that the rink that uh, you were using in Oshawa, the Donovan facility, is probably as wide as it is long from center ice. I mean, there's not much of a difference. It really, there isn't that much of a difference in that particular rink. Um, no. It's different at Harmon Park. It's different in some other facilities, obviously. But in that rink, going from cross ice to half ice wasn't much of a difference. Um, no. But I, I do recall clearly watching the first game that your group played in October, I think it was. Or was it last year? No, it was this year. Um, watching the first game um, and watching how fast it was. It was unbelievable to watch this four-on-four hockey in half rink and the kids flying in and out of the bench and you coaches gesticulating wildly with your arms trying to control who goes in, who goes on. Um, yeah. It was a little bit hairy, I'm sure, to, uh, you know, for you guys on the bench. But as a, as a fan, as an observer... It was so exciting to watch those kids fly. What, what kinds of skills did you see them using in those games, those half-ice games? Well, first of all, the four-on-four was something I had never experienced in hockey before. I think you and I uh, bellied up to the window at the end of the – or the glass, rather, at the end of the game. We were both like jaw, <laughs> just gobsmacked at the, uh, yes. at the speed. It was so exciting. You're right. Um, uh, there were a lot of good things about it, and I'm sure there's some some negatives about it too. But um, yeah, name one. You get to see. Whoa. Well, whoa. The, the, name the, one. <laughs> the the good thing about it was the speed, and it, it you know it was it was great for line changes because it encouraged the kids to get to the bench because they had to before the next unit could come out, and there were tons of puck touches, um, lots of passing, which was awesome. Um, but I guess in terms of structural play, some people would say later on that um, uh, it might have encouraged a little bit of hero hockey and a little bit of chasing the puck around because there was no structure to the game. There was no left side versus right side or F1 versus F2. It was just like a clump of eight just going to town everywhere. <laughs> but it, it definitely was it definitely was exciting. But um, in terms of the skills, we saw everything. Stops and starts and tight turns and kids bumping into each other and going down and getting back up quickly and shots all, all of the skills were incorporated in that minute shift before they had to race to the bench and, and change it up 
it was awesome. How important is it for kids to to know uh, the principles of team play at age eight? It's one of the most difficult things to teach because they've played hero hockey their entire life and they've watched NHL guys do toe drags, bar down skis and all the other fancy stuff and they want to do it themselves and you get out there and the skilled players that can go end to end, they've gone end to end for years and then all of a sudden the skill gap starts to change, starts to close and they still try those things. So as a coach, it's really difficult, but it's so imperative to, to teach. It's the team first, you know, and it sounds cliche, but it's, it's not about the name on the back. It's the crest on the front. So we try our best to promote moving the puck because the puck moves faster than your feet does. And all the little things like blocking shots or taking shots of, um, you know, shooting for the team. If you're outside of the dot line, you know, we got kids that are drifting towards the corner and they're still trying to rifle wrist shots and go top shelf from the corner. That's, that's shooting to score your for yourself. So we promote shooting for the team inside the dot line so that they can hit pads and we can go for rebounds. So those are the little things that we're trying to, to help them with the, the buzzwords in hockey and then, you know, playing, playing for the team because that's what it's all about. Because as soon as you do that, you start to have even more success than you would if you were just focusing on individual skills and one kid going through everybody. Well, we are, we are, of course, referring to the first game that your team played. Um, Since then, I mean, you do have to teach some basic things that you're talking about, obviously, to give the kids a sense of what a team is about, whether you're Mm -hmm. playing two on two, three on three or four on four, they still have to have the idea of support. They still have have to have the idea of head manning, even though the space is smaller and it's supposed to be smaller. I mean, when you look at soccer, the kids are playing seven aside. If you look at basketball, they're playing with a smaller net and different numbers of kids on the, on the court and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, yes. So hockey has to adapt to the size of the kids. And then there's still too many games, way too many games. Um, <clears throat> do you think that the transition from half ice to full ice, which is what they're doing, well, what you did this year in January, I guess it was, um, was that the right time or should it have been two seasons, two full seasons at half ice? Uh, I think the jury's out on that one, really, Richard. I mean, you can go back and forth and, you know, I could, I could definitely say that we could have done three more months doing the half ice and it wouldn't have made or break anything. Mm-hmm. But um, I think for the most part, the transition was warranted uh, and it, in terms of timing. I mean, in, in most aspects of the game with size and speed and strength, but some, some, some strategies sprinkled in there, not too much. Um, they were ready for it. They're ready to stretch their legs, um, which was a, a, a bonus for them. But um, I'm, I'm sure the race uh, that I referred to is about um, our desire as coaches and parents to teach strategy. And, you know, we want to play real hockey, quote unquote, real hockey. Right. So we, we, we race to play those games. So, um, but I think for my team personally, it, it worked. I'm sure there's not one size fits all, um, depends on the skill level and the development of each team and organization, but, um, it, it's working in, in our regard, in our, in our instance. Now you do have the higher caliber kids. You have the, uh, you know, quote unquote, triple a kids, which I, I think is a bit of a misnomer at age eight, but, uh, having the best kids enables you to do a little bit more of the combo platter of skills with basic tactics than perhaps uh, a group of ordinary skaters would do. And perhaps there's something to be said for 
the transition being different for different levels. What do you think about that? Maybe, maybe. I mean, that's what we do in teaching. Uh, we teach to the needs of each kid. It's all that, like I mentioned, there isn't one size fits all. And, uh, you know, maybe we do need to look at that. I, I do have the, a, a group of talented individuals that are able to do what I ask them to do most times. But, um, I even see, you know, kudos to the single A and the double A kids out there too. Cause I watch practices. I'm on there with them. We share ice and, um, they are, they are growing and developing exponentially too. So again, I think it comes back to buying into the small space, the instruction, and then understanding how to implement it properly in order for those kids to develop, uh, now you and I, you, yeah, you and I both know about associations that have been on full ice for quite a while. Have cheated, have played a lot more games, mm-hmm. as you mentioned earlier. Um, the The practice to game ratio is something I'm I'm hot on. Uh, the three to one or four to one is what it should be. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of the European mentality where they don't really play formal games until about age ten or even eleven or twelve in some in some countries. Um, the practice to game ratio has reduced considerably since you went to full ice, obviously. Um, you have now two practices in one game, I think, or something like that. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It gets that, it gets, it gets lower too when you get tournaments coming in and sure, you know, those sort of jamborees or whatever they're called now. So yeah, it's definitely not, uh, where it should be. Would you, I mean, the kids are on the ice, your groups are on the ice three times a week. Um, the occasional four time, four times a week, I guess, with, you know, an away mm-hmm. game, um, is that just about enough or should there be more, should there be more practices, less games? Like what's your feeling on that? Well, obviously we need to stay in the, in the, the, uh, the learning zone more than we do the performance zone. I mean, the performance zone and playing games is much more exciting for everybody and all the kids love to, to play games. But, um, in order for long-term de- development to happen, we need to practice more, but, I think it comes down to a balance for your family um, and your schedules too. I, I talked to several of my parents who have reached out to me and say, you know what? I think my kid needs to work on his skating. What would you recommend, Corey? Can we, should we do a, a, a fourth session a week, a fifth? Do we do hockey schools? And my response every time is it depends on you and your family. Cause um, I know at this, uh, this time of the year, lacrosse butts into hockey and, and baseball's already starting and people are playing soccer full time full year round. So it's difficult. You can't be on the ice six days a week and play soccer and do that three days a week. You're just going to burn out your kid. Um, but at the same, you know, you use your common sense, but at the same time, you got to be able to play ball too. And, and, and be, you know, keep up with the Joneses a little bit and be, you know, in the mix. You can't just be, um, stubborn or I don't know if that's the right word or not, but set in your ways and just say, you know what, it's two times a week and that's the end of it. You know, you have to kind of find a balance and find out what works for, uh, you and your family and, and what the organization offers. And I know personally, we've got my son on the ice one extra time a week and uh, he seems to be doing fine with that. So again, it's up to the parent and, and their busy schedules. Well, you can't stop people. Yeah. You, you can't stop people from going to extra skating instruction or left wing instruction or whatever they're doing. But in terms of mandating the number of games and practices, which is what hockey Canada is doing to prevent burnout and to encourage the kids to do other sports. That's why the, the schedule, um, the pathway for novice and Adam was designed as it was to, uh, to limit the, uh, the number of times they're on the ice. And yet we know that there are organizations where their kids are on five, six times a week. 
and they've scheduled the coaches have been allowed to schedule it that way yes it's it's definitely not fair when you've got certain organizations um adhering to the, the guidelines and other ones that are not and you can clearly see that when you play against them when they're doing you know power play setups on the half wall or they're going d to d and in the neutral zone and and up the ice you know that there's been some instruction and i know for a fact there's other teams that have picked teams um you know in, in last march and we're skating two and three times a week full ice you know budget set and all this sort of nonsense so um it's a little bit excessive sometimes it doesn't always work well <laughs> it doesn't always work i mean how many kids get get a d1 scholarship you know looking down the road to when there is 17 18 19 how many kids get to play junior a you know and you look at the sheer numbers in uh, you know 20 teams in the um uh, in the junior a league in ontario and 12 where i was in ottawa you know how many kids get to play junior a how many kids get to play ncaa like the vast majority will never get there they just won't no um, not at and, all the percentages are very very low below one right. percent right and it's at, right and, and the d1 is even worse now because there are so many good u.s programs that they're taking more american kids they don't have to go scouting north of the border um the um I, agree with you. I beg your pardon i said i agree with you right yeah, they are there's tons of leagues that are great there the development down in the states is uh amazing yep just as good as hockey canada now that the kids are on full ice and have been for what a month and a half or so um what do you see i mean if you could turn back the clock if you could uh go back in time you you've seen a bunch of games now full ice what would you have changed in your practice content and approach uh in shared ice practices that might have made a difference or does it do you need to have made a difference um i think for the most part, we're on the right track, Rich. I think that uh, we did a good job of, of looking at all the skills that we needed to cover. And uh, fortunate enough for me, I've got a great coaching staff, um, guys that have coached for over 20 years, guys that have played high levels of hockey too. So we were able to implement good drills and, and you know, look at the needs of each kid and, and, you know, try to figure out how to move from there to make them better. But um, when, the only thing I could maybe think of in terms of, things we need to get better at is obviously skating. I mean, having played pro hockey myself, I know that that's the differentiator between every single level, a junior player, someone that played Canadian university or division one in the States or someone that's playing pro it's whether or not they can wheel and their skating ability. And when you go to smaller spaces, you can't necessarily stretch your legs as much. Um, same thing maybe with passing. I mean, you can get, uh, it's difficult to get on the move and, and make passes. And that seems to be, a, a, a there are gaps with passing and receiving. So, but you, again, you need some space. Obviously you start stationary, but when you start moving, if you're in a small area, it's uh, a little bit difficult to execute. So, but it's I not hard. It's not, it, yeah. It's not hard you know, to, to take a shared ice practice because uh, with Oshawa minor, there are two teams on the ice for practices and to design the ice configuration so that let's say your group is skating from goal line to center ice, you know, and taking literally one quarter of the entire pad to do a skating, a power skating type exercise, you know, to work on stride development, because the kids will only go half the rink in a full rink game. Uh, in fact, there's a considerable amount of research about how long it takes for a child to reach full speed. It's about 60 feet. 
60 feet is barely one's own. Um, okay. So it's not, it, it, it's not difficult to envision that each half of a team, you know, eight kids on your team taking one quarter of the surface um, and working on those skating skills. And by the same token, you know, the other half of the rink, you know, and that the other quarter of the rink at that half uh, being used for, let's say, passing or whatever, you know, stretch passing, that type of thing. Like that can be done. Those are, to me, those look like logistical things, just organizational mm-hmm. things. Um, yes. I agree with you. They, I agree. They, need, they do need to stretch their skates, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you too, what you're saying. And we're actually, we're, we're doing that with um, Christy, uh, uh, our figure skater and power skating coach. She's doing that too, where she's taking a quarter of the pad and she's working with, not the whole team, but she's breaking it down into five, uh, groups of five where she's able to, to go goal line to center and work on that stride with those kids and, and actually get in there, and manipulate, open up the leg and make sure they're, you know, full extension and pointing with the toe. So right. that works. You're right. It does work. There's, there's another rather important point when we're talking about competitive, you know, we're talking about competitive teams right now, but it could apply to house league as well about the number of teams on an ice surface under the age of 12. And uh, you're talking about the expense of having a full sheet of ice for 16 little munchkins, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. It's just not necessary. Do you agree or not? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I do. I didn't know if there was a question coming there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You get, um, uh, we've had a lot of success sharing the ice with uh, our double A team this year and everybody's on the same page in terms of logistics and planning um, we're all using an application to share lesson plans. So um, it's been a, a really good experience so far. That said, I do like having um, full ice practices sprinkle in there sometimes. That's, it's just a different feel for the kids. It's novel. It's something new and uh, it's exciting for them too. So a nice, a nice balance from time to time has worked for us, but uh, it's definitely doable on the small ice or shared it, ice rather. It, it seems that no matter what, experienced hockey people say like myself or any other people running an organization, no matter what we say, we are not going to stop parents from taking their kids to the so-called outlaw organizations, non-affiliated with hockey Canada. I mean, I'm not trying to be a company man here that hockey Canada is the be all and end all, but uh, taking them to full ice outlaw programs for their six, seven and eight year olds. Um, What would you say to somebody at a cocktail party over a ginger ale who's got their kid out at one of those outlaw programs. And you say, I think you really need to come back and see what this program is about. How do you convince them? Well, first of all, I, I don't blame all the parents and it, it's especially the the group of them that had children that were playing full ice and they had a clawed back or the parents that have kids that are little rock stars at five, six and seven. It's very, very appealing um, to go out into an outlaw league and play games because everyone wants to play games. And like you mentioned, these outlaw leagues are not following the rules. They're playing three quarter ice games. There's refs, there's scores, there's penalties. Um, they're having birthday skates. Um, but what that does is it allows parents, uh, parents rather to chase, um, ice time and development. So, um, if I was to talk to them, I would, I would obviously talk to them about the merits of, the small ice play and what it actually does and how you scaffold and how important it is for those kids to have those puck touches. Um, it, it, it's, it's, diff- it's difficult though, because everybody I talk to has 
a point of view about, you know, why their kids are in the full ice. Um, I guess the mistake is, is that some of the parents, they think that because their kids a rock star at six and can go through everybody that they're on the, the Connor McDavid trajectory and that they're going to be rock stars at eight, 10, 12 and in the NHL at 18. Um, the reality is, is that the kids that are doing those small ice, lots of puck touch, touches and the skill based um, stations, they, they catch up and they're going to catch up. And that's what the research and, and data showing us. So, um, you know, I would try my best to um, educate educate those parents about the merits of the program and how you know show them results and and you know talk to them about all the all the good things that are going down and all the success stories that we're having. Well, it's a tough sell, though. I know it's a tough. It's a it's almost an impossible sell, and and you actually have to get people to experience it, but they aren't willing to try it, and that's uh, that's the frustrating part of it. I mean, if you if you compare it to the education system, I mean, you're an edu- you're uh, you know elementary school teacher, uh, and you tell people that uh, your your child is in grade three and struggling with reading, uh, and you're in a bit of a panic, and you're going to get uh, uh, extra help, and you're going to get uh, you know tutors and the rest of that kind of stuff join a, a learning center in order to get the reading up to par. And then suddenly, you know, your child graduates from high school and ends up going to university. Couldn't have done that. Couldn't have thought of that when the kid was eight. I mean, I'm sure you know of people that you played hockey with when, when they were little kids and you, and they, you turn around all of a sudden they're in junior. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely, definitely played with a lot of players that I didn't think had it when they were younger, and, and they turned out to be uh, amazing hockey players and, and play in the American League and into the NHL even. And on right. the flip side, you've got you've got little little rock stars at uh, twelve and eleven years old. When I remember playing for the Toronto Marlies myself, AAA hockey, there was a kid uh, by the name of Brad who could take slap shots from the point, and everyone thought he was the next coming. And uh, he was done playing hockey by the time he was fifteen. So. It's uh, it's pretty crazy the, the development and the, how people end up in the end. Right. So now that you're you're going into minor Adam or under what is that U10 I guess next year, right? I believe. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. What um, what changes do you envision uh, taking in your approach to teaching these kids? Well, I'm going to stay the course. I think I've I've bought into the the small ice instruction, um, and I like the the progression and the development that the kids are doing. Um, I, I'm a psychology guy too, so I understand that we need to be patient here. A lot of the skills that we're doing, Richard, and a lot of parents don't understand, is that the, the skills that we're doing aren't automatic yet. They're brain activities, right? The, the prefrontal cortex, it's like the CEO of the brain. It's still Yes. trying to work through each skill. Like you talked about reading two minutes ago. When you're a grade three student, you are trying to read. You're literally sounding out every single word. You're, yes. working, through decode, right. you're working through decoding. You're not fully comprehending what you're reading because it's not an automatic skill yet. Once that skill becomes automatic, it, it moves to a brain uh, a brainstem activity, and that frees up brain space for comprehension. The same thing applied with hockey. We got coaches and parents saying, you know, this kid did the drill and I asked him to go around the cone, do crossovers, take it wide. He's got his head down. He had the whole side open in the net and he missed it. Like, well, I, don't, I just don't get it. And I'm, I'm saying, 
they don't, the, the skills aren't all automatic yet. So that's right. obviously if a kid's working on crossovers as he goes around that cone, that's what he's focused on. He doesn't have the, the space, the brain space yet. And that CEO of the brain to, to free up so that all the other skills are automatic and, and all those things can come together. It just takes time. So to answer your question, I'm going to be patient and stay the course <laughs> because okay. it's working and it will work in the long end, <laughs> in the long run. That, is, that certainly is the plan for any minor hockey coaches to, uh, uh, is to understand what it takes to develop the skills. And with these smaller kids, they need the smaller space and you know, you're, you have the better players, but you look at the kids who are two levels down from you or even in house league to put them on a full rink is, is very much the case of as Steve Miller said, you can always find 16 kids who will go in a straight line past everybody on the rink. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it's all relative. The double A and the single A kids, uh, like I mentioned earlier, are doing a great job in the small space and mm-hmm. they're developing exponentially. So to, to stretch them out, um, you might not have the capacity to do so just yet. So uh, it doesn't make sense to, to go full ice. Remember when, uh, well, I don't know if you remember a few years ago when Soccer Canada decided that in their programs for, I think it was under 12, they would no longer keep score. And there was quite the brouhaha, of course, from, from parents. They can't keep score. What are you talking about? And, you know, I go to my niece's games when she was seven, eight, nine years old and, they kind of knew the score. The parents all knew the score, but nobody kept the score. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, in, in the cross ice and, and half ice games, nobody is keeping score. Now all of a sudden you're in full ice and it's on point streak and you've got standings and, and the rest of that kind of stuff. Is that stuff necessary? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, on one hand, I, I feel like the, the players and the parents feel like they deserve it. They feel like they deserve to play real hockey. Um, they've worked hard for it. And on the other hand, when you play cross ice and the kids are out there playing, they're just playing. They're just kids. So um, I think if we focus less on the outcome goals and winning and losing, um, the better off we'll be, to be honest with you, as a, a psych guy myself and having played and teach, uh, it's, I don't know. I think we just need to focus more on the process and those little things that make good hockey players good hockey players. Yeah. There's lots of time for scoring goals and keeping track and plus minus and all that other stuff that uh, that I find once you incorporate those things, all it does is stress everybody the heck out. It's one of the reasons why I put my son on defense so he mm-hmm. doesn't have to worry about scoring goals because that's all forwards do is uh, you know they they think did I have a good game today? Well, I don't know. Did I score? Like it's just it's just an added stress. So. Well, you didn't um, read Bobby Orr's book? No, I haven't. Bobby Orr's book, uh, it came out a few years ago. There was a, a, a part in there about his peewee coach when he was 12 years old who told him, uh, if you want to go, go. I'm not putting any leash on you. You want to take the puck, you just go. And he says, had it not been for his peewee coach, he never would have been the player that he was because he was allowed to be creative. He was allowed to take off. Well, that's, that's the right thing to teach. Yep. So the I'm right going to put, teach. yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. You are standing in front of a group of new coaches of, uh, of six, seven and eight year olds. What's the advice you give them about uh, the cross ice modified ice program? I would say that it's a good program that you need to um, trust the process and that you need to be able to crawl before you can walk. And although we're all used to playing full ice games and, games, 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 and stats and scores. 
um, in terms of development, which we really want for our kids, uh, the half ice is, is the way to go for now. They're ready to stretch the legs and go full ice, which will come. So right. be patient, trust the process. It works. There's data that shows that it works. And, and I can already see that too. In the second year of this program, the kids are exponentially better than they were last year. And, you know, we're from Oshawa and we're one of the smallest centers in Ontario. And we're just as good as any team. There isn't a team that I don't play against where I don't think that our boys can compete. So it's, it's working. So except, for the, except, for the power, except for the power play set up from the half wall with the D to D and the one. Yeah. 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 We were all for four last game. <laughs> oh no. That's no terrible, yeah. terrible. I'm just kidding. I'm coaching. just kidding. I don't keep, I don't keep track of that stuff, Rich. I don't Coach, keep track of that. Coaching breakdowns again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Corey, <laughs> uh, I really appreciate your time. Thanks very much for coming on the show and I'll get you on again. We'll talk about uh, something else in the future. Maybe do a, another plug for mentally charged and what that's all about. That would be great. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me today. It was good All chatting right. with you. All right. Good stuff. We'll talk later. This has been, uh, this is called the outro part. This is where I say goodbye. And uh, to, uh, to listeners, that's uh, Corey Lucas, who coaches uh, novice AAA in Oshawa minor hockey, uh, former pro player, uh, NCAA division one player with some thoughts on the cross ice and modified ice program in novice. In case you hadn't noticed, our sport is pretty traditional. Novel ideas and approaches don't come around too often, which means the USA Hockey and Hockey Canada modified ice programs are true anomalies. In fact, the analytic study done by USA Hockey in Detroit that I talked about in an earlier episode was remarkable in that sense, as were its results. But I do need to share this. I was not surprised. Some years ago in Montreal, I taught at a private school in Montreal West, lived a few blocks from it, and served as a varsity assistant coach cum junior varsity head coach at Concordia University. The head guy was Paul Arsenault, one of the most underrated college coaches in Canadian history, in my humble opinion. Anyway, I'd been contacted by a fellow, we'll call him Jacques, who claimed to have a unique way to teach hockey. Doesn't everyone, I thought. A cynic even then. We met at a rink that had mini boards dividing it into all sorts of sections. Little ones for a handful of kids, slightly larger for bigger kids, quarter rink, half rink, plus small nets. It looked really bizarre. He called his program Hockey Plus. He wanted to sell it to local associations and needed a hockey technical guy to teach it. Why? Because Jacques couldn't skate much. He was a volleyball coach. So, long before, decades before, our Modified Ice program existed, Hockey Plus in Montreal did. In fact, hockey's governing body in Quebec had been using small space stuff for younger kids for quite some time. Hockey Plus was an adventure that eventually failed. Not because it was a bad idea, nor even that the head instructor, me, was, <clears throat> excuse me, no good. It failed because of marketing. When you walked into one of the arenas that had the program, you weren't sure what to make of it. What's with all these rink sections? Why the small nets? How do kids graduate from one space to the next larger one? What are the age groups? And so on. What Jacques had done was to mostly ignore age groupings. 
Instead, he plunked kids in spaces conducive to their skill level. So in a one-half of a zone space, for instance, there might be six kids doing three versus three, or even two versus two. And they'd be seven, eight, or ten, or eleven years old. The point quickly became obvious. Fewer kids in a space meant more puck touches and engagement. Of course, it didn't resemble hockey in many ways. As for the boards, they'd been constructed by his father, a carpenter. Each section was painted and had tongue and groove connectors, all wood at the top and base. All the boards slid nicely on and off the rink, which, with about six people doing it, took about eight minutes to get them on or off. That's why we had two to three hour blocks of ice and just didn't flood. Did the kids like it? I believe so. Though you have to think that parental commentary in the car home might have been a bit critical. When I moved to Ottawa and began teaching in a summer hockey school there, I got hold of Jacques and we bought the boards from him. We loaded them onto the back of a truck and brought them to the East End's Potva Arena. There they stayed, stacked in a corner of the rink, until finally they'd overstayed their welcome, unfortunately. Perhaps it's true that what's new is old and what's old is new. Both Steve Miller and Corey Lucas offered that you could indeed find a bunch of kids in any association who could handle a full ice game. Just push the puck ahead, maybe make a move, and if you had good natural wheels, blow past the other eight or nine and head straight for the net. But is that the best thing for those kids, even the great ones? No, not by any sensible measure of what children should have. As it is, the Modified Ice Program allows for full ice after just a season and a half of modified ice. It could have easily been enforced to the end of year two, major novice or U9, and even to U10 and U11. Why? Because they're children. As leaders in the game, it is incumbent on us to provide programming that reflects their size, mental skills, and understanding of concepts. Their pure hockey attributes are just one part of what it means to become, not be, a decent player 10 years from now. All we have to do now is teach our coaches how to teach this program. That's why I talk to Steve and Corey, who, like their colleagues, are doing it the right way. If you have comments, drop me a line. Richard at grassrootsminorhockey.com And coming up on Grassroots, what do you do? When you don't know what to do. The team from hell. Thanks for listening.